I was going to joke and introduce myself this morning. I've been not preaching for three weeks. Um, and thank you, Neil. Uh, you know, he does a great job. And, and, um, but I have to introduce myself because I've met several guests today, too. So it's, it's amazing. I, there was no coasting back into the office. It was, I walked into Adventure Week. I come back and our entire church looks like a pirate ship. And I'm given a pirate's outfit to wear, and there's that. And then Christian Family Day. No, I don't need it now. I've got that out of my system. Um, so it's good to be back. I'm, I'm anxious to be back and, and glad to be back. Um, despite all the pirate stuff, we're going to go back to our study of the book of Galatians. And so it's kind of a weird place to pick it up, and I'll try and give some back story to it. I had to remind myself, frankly, of how this fits in the story. So we'll be in Galatians chapter 4. And uh, I also want you to have your Bibles ready to go to Genesis chapter 16. Um, Galatians 4 refers back to an episode there, and so we'll, we'll do that. Um, many of you have asked what we did on vacation, and I've, uh, you know, it's, I didn't go on a cruise, I didn't jump out of an airplane, I'd, I basically sat around and do what I always do, um, and, but I had my wife with me, and I was on a different schedule, and uh, much of it centered around making sure we could visit our two sons. Um, Jackson in Springfield started his first real job. He, he's like a grown-up now and all that stuff. And uh, Campbell and his wife Tyler travel um, with a camp, and, and he was in Fayetteville, Arkansas, so we made, made a trip down there. Um, and I have two sons, as, as obvious by that story. And it's amazing, and, and it's and we might bicker about this, but one of them, in my opinion, and there are certain aspects that this doesn't fall in, reminds me of Jana more than me, and one of them reminds me of me more than her. And there's different characteristics that that's the case, but the the point is, I mean, one of them will do something or look a certain way, and you'll say, that looks like you, or that looks like you. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul is making the point that Abraham has two sons, Okay. And they look like, if I can put it in this vernacular, they look like their mother. Or they, um, his, his argument, they represent what their, what their setting represents. Now the difference between Abraham's children and my two sons is both my boys were born to that woman over there. So, okay, so Janet is their mother. With Abraham, he had, there's two mothers. There's one named Sarah and there's one named Hagar. Um, if you've been around the church, these, these stories will be familiar. If you've not, and this is new, I'm going to try and catch you up to speed. Um, but you'll see what God was doing all the way back there in Genesis. Paul's bringing that out later. So if you'll read with me starting Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Um, and I'll, again, fill in as many blanks as I can to, to get us up to speed. Paul writes this. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by one, the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken fi- figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman 
than of her who has a husband. Now, now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. And at that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of a slave woman, but of the free woman. Okay, let's pray. God, uh, prepare our hearts to receive your word. May we um, be free from distractions, God. May we have our minds set on what you would uh, tell us this morning. And God, may your word bear fruit. May it change lives. May it bring life. Um, God, so that we, um, like your creation, reflect your glory in our lives, God. Just help this be uh, true today, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this book, is I hope you remember, God, Paul is making the argument that there are certain people that believe that it's what you do that makes you right with God, makes you acceptable before God, that God loves you more, that even accepts you because you've done certain things. Paul's making the case that it's all by grace. No matter what you've done, good, you can't earn it. No matter what you've done, bad, you can't unearn it. You can't be too far from it. That God saves people, that God wants a relationship and accepts people strictly by the work of Jesus Christ and not by what we did. Um, When I'm gone on vacation, I go to church. Just so you know, I don't bring back bulletins like, you know, the old school days, but I went to a couple churches. And so um, along the way, I'm taking notes because men are saying things that I know I want to say when I get back. And one of the phrases or thoughts that came to mind was uh, one of the pastors said there is nothing you can do think about think about just the weight of this there's nothing you can do that will make God love you any more than he does right now okay nothing you can have your best day ever and God doesn't love you any more than he already does you can't blow it so bad that God loves you any less okay Now, the scary part for the Galatians and what's going on in Galatians is that last phrase that you can't blow it so bad God won't love you any less and you're no longer acceptable to him. That scares people because they want to put down a bunch of rules that say, no, you got to do this, 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 and this. And Paul is making the argument that if you want to go down that path of rules, then there's no room for error. You stumble in any point along the way and you're out because you've, you've launched your boat. Let's put it this way. You said, I'm going to get in this boat and it's going to take me to heaven. And that boat is performance. That boat is works. Well, as soon as I step out of the boat, I'm in the water and I drown. Okay? No, he's saying it's all by the grace of God. You get in Jesus Christ and he takes, and he takes you there. So that's what he's doing. And he's, he's going through this and he starts by saying in verse 21, then tell me you who want to be under the law. You want to go down that performance road? Now again, this is, works is good news to some people. They think it is because they think they're better than anybody else or better than most people, at least better than 50% of the world if God grazed on the curve, or they're better than they used to be, or they're better than they could be. And so they chalk that up as that's why God accepts them. And Paul's saying, if you want to go down that road, as he's already said, Christ has no value for you. You've got to obey the whole law. And then he says in verse 21, you want to go down that road? Are you not aware of what the law says? You ever heard the phrase, be careful what you ask for? That's what he's telling them. He says, you want to go down that road. You don't know what you're playing with here. And a great question, and I'll come back to this later. Are you not aware of what the law says? Because later he says, um, it is written. And what's written, it's so important that we know our Bibles. I'm going to spend some time, and, and necessarily so, I'm going to spend some time reminding us of Genesis 16. 
Okay? And I had to do it myself, so I'm not coming down on this. But the more we know Genesis 16, the better we understand Galatians 4 and Romans 4. And so that's why it's important that we're in our Bibles. It's important why we, we start connecting those dots. And again, I, I feel like I'm repeating myself. I haven't been here in three weeks, so I don't know how that's the case. But when I, we connect dots in the Bible, not like a kid's outline, but like a circuit board. And I'm telling you, as soon as Genesis 16 and Galatians 4 came together, lights went off all over the place. And that's, that's why it's important to know your word. So now to your outline. Point one is there are two children. They're sons. And it says in verse 22, For it is written that Abraham had two sons. Um, the legalists, uh, those that in, in Galatians that said it's by works that you're right with God, the Jews, um, the Pharisees in Jesus' day would claim that they were Abraham's true children, that they were the children of Abraham. Well, listen to what Paul writes to the Romans. He says, not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are the, his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring is reckoned. In other words, it is not children by physical descent who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's children. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, I will return and Sarah will have a son. So this goes back to Genesis. What he's saying is, you can be a Jewish person ethnically and be a true child of Abraham if you have faith in Jesus Christ. But you can be a Jewish person ethnically and not put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're no more a child of Abraham than a rock. And Jesus would say, and John the Baptist would say, he can raise up children out of stones from Abraham. And so it's not an ethnic thing, it's not a racial thing, it's not a performance thing, it's faith in Christ. And Abraham is our example of that. So back to 22, verse 22, it's written about Abraham, he had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by a free woman. And we'll get into this, but Hagar is the slave woman and Sarah is the other. And, and we'll go to Genesis 16 in a minute, but Sarah was... Um, promised a child. Abraham was promised a child through Sarah. Uh, she was old. He was old. It wasn't happening. So uh, they concoct this idea that he should sleep with one of the slaves named Hagar. And sure enough, a son is born. And God is saying, listen, my promise was never about you figure it out and you do it and I'm going to make it come true. It's always been about I said I'd do it and I'm going to do it. So point A is Ishmael was born of the flesh to Hagar. Okay, so these are the slave woman and, and the child of promise. Verse 23, his son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. Um, you, can, you can fill out what that means. It, it means the way every other child we know was born is that Hagar, or I'm sorry, Abraham slept with Hagar and a child was born. Um, I know that every child is a miracle. Okay, I mentioned earlier I um, visited my two sons. Uh, and I've told all these stories. I've been at this too long. I tell all the same I'm the old guy that tells all the same stories. Um, when I first got married to Jana, I thought, because I came from a family of two kids, I thought, we'll have two kids and that'll be enough, right? Um, as soon as Campbell was born, I mean, I was like, okay, I could handle three. I mean, it was just like, okay, you've pushed me in the direction. Jana came from a family of three. I think in her mind, she always suspected we'd have three kids. You know, we didn't really talk that out. But um, over the course of our time, we could have and, and had five kids. But the two we have, because of medical circumstances, are miracles. 
Um, it, it's a miracle we have too. So I know that every child's a miracle. I know that even the child that was born between Abraham and Hagar is a miracle. But God wanted to do a different kind of miracle, which is from a barren woman and an old man where you don't think there's any chance of it happening, God's going to bring a child into the world. So what it says that he was born according to the flesh, it was their plan, it was their work, and Hagar was born. Now I want to read you a couple just snippets along the way of Psalm 87. It talks about the the descendants and the citizens that would be from Jerusalem. Because the Jews and the Judaizers had in mind that you had to be a good Jew to be right with God. and You had to keep all these rules. And Psalm 87, looking ahead, says, I will see people, and I'm going to paraphrase here, from Rahab and Babylon and Philistia. He's mentioning all these Gentile pagan nations. And he goes, the day is coming when all these other nations are going to be citizens of Jerusalem. When, when Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven. He's not just saying, he's not just saying you have a passport to heaven someday. You're children of that kingdom. And what he's saying is, you can be there whether you're Jew. Scripture reader. There we go. I get the scripture reader one. Thank you, Duke. Sorry about that, Gail. Um, so our citizenship is in heaven, not just because we get to go to heaven someday, but because we're part of this family. We're part of this family, whether you're Jew or Gentile. And the psalmist says as much. I don't care if you're a, the farthest pagan, you're going to be recorded as a citizen in Jerusalem. So Ishmael is born by flesh to Hagar. Point B, Isaac was born by faith to Sarah. And I've, I've, I've wrestled, I was wrestling with this this morning because if you go back and read Genesis 16 and 17, it's kind of, Abraham, rightly so, is called the father of faith. He's the example of faith. But when you look at him, like here he's taking matters into his own hands. Is that, what kind of faith is that? And so we'll, we'll get into that. Verse 23 says, the son born by the free woman was born as the result of a divine promise. Now here's what the author of Hebrews says. By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. So Sarah and, and Sarah was involved in getting Hagar involved. But the author of Hebrews says, and, and, and the author of Romans says, and which is Paul, says they had this great faith. They had this great faith. They believed God. Well, they only they believed God, but they still took matters in their own hands. So I'm wrestling, wrestling with all this. Here's what I want. Huh, two points here. One, there is nothing that can prevent. We just sang about this. There is nothing that can prevent God from keeping his promise. Your disobedience can't keep that from happening. Okay? Your, your stumbling, your waywardness, your rebellion against God cannot keep that promise from coming true because Jesus Christ did all that stuff. The other thing is, and, and again, we're going to get back to Genesis 16 and 17, Abraham and Sarah had no idea that thousands of years later, 
Paul's going to use them as an example. Okay? Both their obedience and their disobedience. And David alluded to it in his prayer. There are um, things that are happening in our lives right now. Like, why in the world is God allowing this? I don't know. But I can tell you he's working out his plan. He's working out all things for good for you, for his glory. And another one of those things I've said ever, forever and ever, I think, is if one day we're going to sit and praise God for what he allowed to happen in our life, and I believe we will, then by faith we can do that now and not just in hindsight someday in eternity. Another preacher I heard, and this may have been on the radio, I can't remember. Do you realize Paul, who's writing this, was a persecutor of the church? And the Bible says that in heaven, they rejoice when somebody gets saved. You know some of the people that were celebrating and when Paul entered paradise were the very people he slaughtered? And they're praising God because Paul got saved? You get, that's the power of the gospel. Is that the person farthest from God, he's the one writing this, gets a celebration coming into heaven by the very people he persecuted. Because they will see there, that's the glory of God that's utmost. Paul would say in, in Romans 4 again, that without being weakened in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He was about a 100 years old. I've heard some of you grandparents say, you know, God's wise not give us kids when we're older because you can't keep up with them. He says he did not waver in his faith. And I, and I wrestled with that because, again, you read the story of Abraham. He, he was all over the place. But he's the one that is held out as the father of the faith. At the end of Abraham's life, it says this, that he was um, rectified, he was accounted for because he placed his faith in God. And at the end of the day, he obeyed God. It wasn't that he always understood it. It wasn't that he made, didn't make mistakes along the way, but when at the end of the day, he did by obedience. This is what James would talk about. Faith without works is dead. He trusted God enough to actually act on what God said. It, it wasn't like, well, I don't think God would do this, or I've got it. At the end of the day, he trusted God there. Okay, so that's the two kids, two children. Point two is two covenants. A covenant's a contract, it's an agreement between God and, and mankind. So in verse 24, these things are being taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants, okay? Hebrews talks about the fact that the second covenant was always God's idea, that it wasn't like we blew it and God said, oh, now i got to figure out what to do. He just he always had, had intended to save people by grace. Um, and so Hebrews 8 talks about that. In this section, point A is two places. And this gets a little convoluted, so just bear with me. Verse 24, one covenant is from Mount Sinai. That's where Moses received the law. Okay, So that covenant bears children who are slaves, meaning you must always be a slave to the law if you're going to go down that path. This Hagar. Now Hagar, verse 25, says, stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia, and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. Okay, so my mind is like constantly trying to make sense of all this. When I hear Arabia, I think of the Arabs, right? And I think of uh, the conflict between the Arabs and the Jews who are in Israel. But what Paul is saying is in his context, Jerusalem represents the people who obey by the law, who think that's what makes them right by God. 
Mount Sinai, the law, represents the, the Judaism, the works of, of all that, because she is in slavery with her children. Verse 26, but the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. Now, you know your Bibles are well enough to know, I think, that there's a new Jerusalem, right? And um, Hebrews talks about there's a, two mountains. Uh, the, the church in Philadelphia talks about a Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Revelation 21, for sure, a new heaven and a new earth and a, and a new city of God that, that comes down. And, the, and again, we are citizens of that city right now. Um, we, we are citizens. That I keep in my mind trying to say, should I go off on these tangents? I, I was loaded this last night. Wow. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I am ready to just unload on you guys. That's probably a way to say it. Cause I, for three weeks, I've been just thinking about talking again. Um, luckily, well, I do have a microphone. I, sh- I should have said that when the microphone wasn't working. So it didn't go out on the air. Um, I'm going to save that for later. There's just the idea that we don't have to wait to heaven to understand what it means to be a child of God. And we are right now citizens of that. And Paul's talking in Galatians that there's this Jerusalem that's above. It's not the worldly one. It's not the rules. It's this kingdom of Christ that you're citizens of that right now and you're free in that. So the tremendous promise is point B. For it is written, I'm in verse 27, and when it says written, that's Isaiah 54. Be glad, barren woman. He's talking about Sarah now. You, the, the Sarah who's old, beyond childbearing. You who never bore a child. Okay. Now, Isaiah's writing this. This is talking, obviously, before Isaac's been born. Shout for joy and cry aloud, for you were never, for you who were never in labor. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. What Isaiah is talking about, what Paul is bringing out in Galatians, is the promise was always going to be that through Abraham the world would be blessed, not just the nation of Israel. That you're going to have more believers outside of the nation of Israel, according to Isaiah, than inside the nation of Israel. That there's going to be Gentiles. I have to always remind us of we're the Gentiles. It's so easy for us to read the Bible and think we're the promised people of God, you know, the Old Testament. We are, but we're the New Testament. We're the, we're the ingrafted part. We're the part that don't belong here. And so we get to, to, to be a, a part of that. Here's where John the Baptist says, do not think that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that of, of these stones, God can raise out children of Abraham. Okay, so we're not only loaded, we're stoned too, okay? We are just... We don't deserve it, is the point. Now, brothers and sisters, it says in verse 28, like Isaac, you're children of the promise. You're, you are so, I preached about this on July 2nd. That was the last time I preached. We are free in Christ. Again, nothing we can do can make God love us more. Nothing we can do can make us love him less. It's all the work of Jesus Christ. Point C, timeless persecution. At that time, the son born according to the flesh, that's Ishmael, persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. Now I want you to go back to Genesis 16, okay? It took me a long time to get there. But this is where we need to understand what he's talking about here and and how this worked. I could preach the whole morning on Genesis 16. I'll try not to do that. Thank you. (laughs) Chapter 16 of Genesis, um, verse 1. Now Sarai... 
Abram's wife, so their names have not been changed yet, so the same people, had borne him no children. And God had already promised, I'm going to give you descendants and all that. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, this is so weird compared to how we do things. But culturally, I'm getting more amens out of my gas this morning than ever. Um, this is surrogacy. Okay, this you've heard of surrogate mothers today, but this is not done in a lab, by the way. This is done the old-fashioned way. They're, he's going to sleep with Hagar. But by the culture, and a slave belonged to the family. And very literally speaking, not physically speaking, but literally speaking, had Hagar had a son, which she did, um, and there's all kinds of uh, weird stuff going on. I studied Genesis and just my eyes were rolling when I was done with this. But um, that child not only belonged to Abraham, but belonged to Sarah. That that child in the view of the culture, even though it was Hagar, belonged to her. And so that's why Sarah says there, you sleep with her, maybe I can build a family through her. So Sarah's the one saying that, right? Okay. Verse uh, 2. By the way, this kind of drives us back to Adam and Eve too when the woman comes up with an idea and the guy goes along with it and they both kind of go down the wrong path and that's not a slight on men or women Abraham should have stepped up and said no I believe what God said we're not going to do it this way he should have done that this is where I wrestle with Abraham's faith Abraham agreed with what Sarah said so after Abraham had been living in Canaan 10 years don't think there were two toddlers running around, okay? Ishmael is 10. He's probably 13 by the time uh, Isaac gets weaned. And so they've been there 10 years. Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave to Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew that she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So Hagar... Started going, nana, 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 I can have kids, you can't. And looking, thinking she was better than Sarah. Now, I want you to jump ahead a little bit. The Judaizer said, we are ethnic Jews and we're keeping all the rules. Say, nana, nana, boo, boo, we're better with God than you are. That's Paul's point here. Okay. Um, so they slept with her and conceived. She mocked her. Verse 5, when Sarai said to Abram, then Sarai said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. Okay, nice little infighting here. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. You ever had those discussions that were like, who started this fight, and what are we even arguing about anymore? That's kind of where they are in the circle, but she's very clear. She's blaming Abraham for all this. Now, I had a a tangent here. I'm going to go down this. Why is she mad, and, and, and what's the whole deal of them sleeping with their slaves and all this kind of stuff? I, I really do want to address this tangent, a, a few thoughts here. I don't care what the culture says is right. Sin is against God and God first. Okay. Now, before you get too fired up, I'm just going to warn you, in about three weeks, I'm coming after you. Okay. When we get to the deeds of the flesh, if you want to mark your calendars and go on your vacation during that time, I'm just telling you, because it's real easy, like the Jews are doing, to say he's talking about those people out there. No, anytime we say 
I don't care what the you know what God says. What the culture is doing is okay. No, every sin is first and foremost a sin against God. The issue here is not that culture does it that way. It's that God told them to do it a different way. It's an assault on marriage. It's an assault on their un, it's unbelief. There's all kinds of things loaded with this. Verse six: Your slave is in your hands. Abram said. Abram said, "Do with her whatever you think best." Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Then the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And she said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I am running away from my mistress, Sarai answered. My mistress Sarai, she answered. And then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants as much, so much that they will be too numerous to count. By the time you get to chapter 21, she goes back. Isaac is weaned and they literally kick Sarah or Hagar out. Okay. And I don't have the time to do all this. I wish I did, but Abraham, we're all familiar with Abraham packing up Isaac and the firewood and going up to sacrifice Isaac. He had to do that with Ishmael too. In chapter 20, 21 of Genesis, he packs up stuff. He gives him a sack lunch and he sends him out to the desert to die. Despite all that, Abram still believes God and trusts God. He, he basically sent two of his sons away to die, he thought, right? I can't imagine that. Verse point three, and this is where it hits us. You have two choices. I have two choices. It's Paul's whole point. You either go with the slave woman, keeping the rules, or you trust God's promise. God's promise is that you are saved solely by the work of Jesus Christ. Again, nothing you can do so good that God will love you more. Nothing you can do so bad that he'll love you any less. By faith, even if you do not understand it, you place your trust in Jesus Christ. Or you go according to righteousness, and you're going to work for it. Verse 30, but what does Scripture say? I almost camped on that all morning. Because too many times, the way we think and the way we behave, we don't ask that question. We treat somebody a certain way. We make a certain decision. We even say, I don't think God would do. Here's a great question. But what does the Bible say about it? Right? I mean, you want to do this. You want to do that. You want to not do this. But what does the Bible say? In all gentleness, I hope this is gentle. Let me make sure I say it to myself before I say it to you. I don't care what you think about certain things. It's what does the Bible say about those things. And again, don't put it out there. I'm saying you and I do things every day that are like, I know the Bible says this, but I just think this. Then you're wrong. That's the point. And so Paul is doing a good thing here. Again, why it's important for them to know our Bible and us to know our Bibles. Well, what does Scripture say? It says three things here. A, the incompatibility of the law. Verse 30 goes on to say, get rid of the slave woman and her son. Again, Abraham had to do that twice. Go read Genesis 21 this, this, um, this afternoon if you want. Um, they go out, they're, they're dying. Hagar can't even watch her son die. Again, he's 13 years old by now. They're out in the desert. There's no water. There's no food. And it says that she left the boy and he was crying. And God heard his cries. And he came and he saved them and made great promises. Uh, again, a whole nother message there. I don't care how far away you are from God and how you got there. 
If you cry out to God, he is, he is interested in those who are in the middle of nowhere and deep anguish, not knowing what's going on, kicked out by everybody they thought they knew and loved. And he says, I hear your cries. And, and he's, he makes tremendous promises to them. And we, we should go start studying Genesis now, but there, read that this afternoon. This is the other point. I made it earlier, but they had no idea what was going on. They didn't know that everything from the birth to the kicking out and all that was part of God's redemptive story. And so hold on while God doesn't make sense because someday it'll make, make sense. But his point here is it's incompatible with the law. There, there is no hybrid salvation. You can't fill up with the, you know, gas of grace one day and then go plug in at night doing something else. You, you don't. You're either saved by strictly by the grace of God or nothing else. Okay? You can't mix the two. And so that's what he's saying. You, you can't get both going. It's incompatible. And for some of you, that's bad news because you think you're pretty good. And for some of you, that's great news because you know you're not. It is all based on the work of Jesus Christ, not what you've done. Secondly, the inheritance is lost. For the slave woman, it says in verse 30, will never, and that's emphasized in the Greek, will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. There's not two ways to heaven. There's not anything like that. You will, if you decide to, it's based on your performance, then there is no inheritance for you. Um, this is a story I was going to tell you earlier. I'm going to tell it now. We don't have Sunday school today, so if I go two minutes late, you'll forgive me. Several weeks ago, um, talking about inheritance and what it'll be like. I mentioned I went to an estate sale and there was this great little farmstead and I was just like, oh, I just long for a place like this. Ravi Zacharias, I think it was, on radio while we were traveling. Um, somebody did the math, and I don't know how accurate this is or not, but it gives a good picture that the New Jerusalem gives the dimensions in the Bible and uh, the way he figured it with population and who, how many are believers and all this stuff figured that each one of us that are believers will get 75 acres in eternity. Okay, I don't know how he got to it, but I was dreaming about 68 acres, and now I'm at 75, so I'm doing good. Um, let me think how to say this. I think we all have this longing in our heart for something bigger, not, not, in, a, not in a selfish way, bigger, more peaceful. I think that longing is placed there that that's our eternity with God. I think that's part of how God has wired us. Um, and I think the, the radio preacher, whoever was making the point that when he gets his 75 acres, and some of you have built houses and know this process, um, you better pre-order your material to get there, you know. You, you better have the concrete there when it needs to be there and the, the wood and all that kind of stuff. The, the point I'm trying to make is we are right now building our eternal home in one sense. The purchase comes when we accept Jesus Christ. That, that gives us the plot of land. As I place my faith in Christ and I live that way and I sacrifice and I glorify Him, the Bible says we are, we are storing away either wood, hay, and stubble that will be burned away, or gold and stone and stuff like that will be built. So if you're a believer, if, if you've been given the deed to eternity because of what Christ has done, good for you, I'll see you in heaven someday. I'm going to roll into heaven and I'm going to say, I wonder what kind of house I get to live there. And when Jesus says, I'm going to go and build a house for you, my, my mind just got going. He's building that house with the materials that I'm sending ahead. Does that make sense? 
And so I'm either going to get there and say, I'm living in the same shack I lived in in Smithville. Or that's a nice house. And so there is this idea of free grace. You get there, God has made all these promises. And what Paul is saying is, you don't even get there if he goes by works. But works play a role once you're saved because... It's what God, he, he saved us for good works. If you, don't, if you don't remember, we started this book of Galatians called Do Good. All this is getting to the point that we are to do good and love others. That's, but it's important to know why and how we, we do that. And so he says your inheritance is, is lost. And then point C is, and this is just a reminder, this is what Scripture says, you are of the independent lineage. I had to work hard to get that into my outline. But you, it says in verse 31, are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. And this is what I spent all July 2nd talking about. We are called to be free. Um, not to be burdened by the law, if I can say it this way, but be blessed to be able to fulfill the law. I mean, we're supposed to keep the law, but not to earn anything from God. I, ho- I hope this all makes sense. It's It's been rumbling around my brain forever. And... Um, there you go. What should we do with this? I'm going to start using something that I say. I say that a lot. I'm going to start using something and you never hear it again. But here's today's start to do something. Some of you need to take your first step towards God. Maybe you just need to start asking questions you've ignored before. Some of you need to actually surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Another phrase I heard over vacation was there are a lot of saved people, but they're not surrendered people. Okay. Um, some of you, the first step is to trust Jesus Christ with your eternity. Some of you, it's just to give up control of your life and trust him in what he's doing. Some of you need to take that first step this morning. Some of you need to take the next step, okay? Not to confuse us with how you get right with God, but some of you need to get baptized. Some of you need to explore joining this church family. You need to be thinking, what's the next step? So some of you need to take the first step. Some of you need to take the next step. Some of you need to step up. I love you, but... And, and listen, I know this is a bad time to say this. We just came off Adventure Week and Christian Family Day. A lot of you do a lot of things around here. I'm so appreciative. But for some, you're not in the game yet. You need to you need to step up. You need to say, I need to start serving. I need to find my place of ministry. Some of you need to start stepping up financially. And again, we're in a good place financially, but that's another step in this maturity. And then finally, some of you need to step out. And I don't mean like get out of here. You need to take evangelism seriously. God may be calling you to ministry. Maybe God's calling you to be a missionary. So however that hits you, I prayed at the beginning that God would use his word and plant seeds in your heart and something would happen that would glorify him at the end. So that's the decision before you now. Let's, let's pray. God, thank you so much for bringing, us, bringing me back to this lovely group of people. Um, thank you for, God, the way your manifold wisdom is displayed as we gather um, all of us in this room, I think, most of us at least, are not um, ethnically your people. We're the people that were far from you, but because of the truths of, of this very letter, um, and despite the protest of others, we are included in the kingdom of God. And so thank you, God. God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would work on our hearts and our minds, that we would um, not view the next couple minutes as the time uh, to think about what's next, but to um, 
to still focus on you and, and to hear what you might lead us to do, God. If, if some here today need to give their life to you and ask you to forgive them and uh, or just remind them that they're not so good they don't need that and they're not so bad they can't get that because Christ has his arms open to them. Um, God, help others to surrender in areas of their life where they know they're holding back. God, help some to make decisions about their place in the church and their role here. And God, maybe even a call on their life to serve you. Um, God, that's in, in your hands and in our hearts now. So I just pray that you move and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.